Hey, welcome to the Brain Food Show. Uh, in this one, the dude who burned down the Temple of Artemis. And this dude has an epic name, but we're going to get into that in a bit. How's it going, David? Welcome. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Um, shall we? How do you want to roll into this today? I know the current format of the show, quick facts, main content, follow up. We're doing follow up. I've actually done this week. I think last week we talked about I would go to get some spam and I would eat the spam. I didn't do that, but I do have some amazing follow-up about what you would call a crosswalk and I would call a pedestrian crossing. So you'll look forward to that follow-up later in the show. I bet. Thrilling. You want to you wanna crack on with that quick fact? Yeah, so the quick fact today is going to be on the slinky, uh-huh. the invention of the slinky, which is interesting. Uh, there was a marine engineer, Richard James, in the 1940s, early 1940s, I think it was 1942, He's sitting there at his desk, mm-hmm. developing a device to measure horsepower output on battle on battleships for the for the Navy, U.S. Navy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's sitting there, and he accidentally knocks one of the springs he was working on um, off the desk, and it kind of like he kind of knocks it off, and it hits some stacked books, and then kind of just you know in slinky like fashion, then kind of walks off the books onto the floor, and that got him thinking. And he was sitting there, he's like, well. I could tweak this a little bit. I could make it that so that would happen every single time. Like if you tweak the design, the tension just a little bit. Um, so he goes home to his wife, says that's it. Yeah. And this could make a really great toy, you know, mm-hmm. way to make a good buck. And then it was, a, it was a couple of years later, he actually finally pursued it and he got a loan for $500, which is about $7,000 today uh, during uh, just before the Christmas season of 1945. And then, yeah, they packaged about 400 of these little slinkies, um, which I believe his wife came up with a name for that using, you know, she was just looking around in the dictionary for something. Um, <laughs> As you do when you're naming products. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, this was uh, actually funny enough, the, the slinky, the word was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was, a, it was a, usually used as an adjective to describe women. Oh. And it was something to do with like slimming or something. She's so slinky. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Wait, what did I just call someone? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's something to do with being slim or something okay. like a certain. Uh, I don't really remember exactly. But anyways, so that's what she went with. It doesn't sound like an insult. You wouldn't be like, oh, you're no. slinky. I mean, that could be an insult, I guess. But but you can make anything sound like an insult, depending on how you say it. Oh, you're wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they packaged it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put it, they found a local store that was willing to put their 400 slinkies on display. Mm-hmm. And then uh, no one bought any for no. several days. Well, it doesn't look very impressive. Like it's just. A, no, a yeah, and of, if you never. Yeah. If you didn't know what it was, it was just sitting there in the boxes. And so then he goes in and to see like what's happening. And so he then he starts demonstrating it because before before they actually, you know, he got the loan for this. He actually tested it with kids around town and the kids around town loved it, mm-hmm. like the kids in his neighborhood and stuff. And so then he goes in and he demonstrates how it actually works. And then within uh, 90 minutes, they had sold all 400 of them. Uh, and so that was kind of the birth of the Slinky. And uh, the rest is history there. I'm much more impressed by Slinkies as an adult or like than mm-hmm. I was as a child. Because like, I feel like you see the Slinky as a child and you're like, oh, it goes down the stairs. It's like, yeah, but I've got like, yeah. you know, PlayStation or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And but- Well, this was the 1940s. <laughs> So they had like a stick and a hoop or something. <laughs> to be, yeah, to be fair, I'm talking about like my childhood here. But then as an adult, you're like, huh, that is pretty impressive. Like I remember seeing one like in a science museum like years later, maybe when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. And I was like, that's actually quite cool. Like that is quite impressive that it can go down the stairs like that. But as a kid, you're like, this is okay. <laughs> and it's one of the best scenes in the uh, Ace Ventura, the second one. You know, I've seen that. Uh, what's it called? 
Is it Ace Ventura Pet Detectives, the first one? The second one is like yeah, The Call of the Wilds, this, maybe? Yeah, something like that. When Nature Calls. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that, 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 that opening scene with the, with the Slinky, that's great. I, I don't recall. It's been a long time. That oh, movie's he, like he's a, old, dude. He's up there in the, um, the temple, you know? The Buddhist temple or whatever way up in the uh, yeah, thing. And he's, he's like, nice. oh yeah, I got one more thing I have to do. And then he just <laughs> the Slinky down the stairs. That's great. Uh, Ace Ventura is uh, pretty solid. Or I remember it being solid when I yeah. was 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I haven't really watched them. Yeah. But I liked them, yes, as well when I was 18. Yeah. Also The Mask <laughs> don't know. with uh, Jim Carrey as well. That was, that was another solid I've never actually, I never watched that one. I'm not going to have a go. You like people have a go at me for not seeing The Princess Bride. <laughs> the Mask is, it's, it's good. But it's not. Yeah. It's not like a, a timeless yeah. classic. Uh, so, should we? Uh, should we talk about the uh, the the dude who burned down the Temple of Artemis? Yes, Let's we should. It. Okay. So, going back, um, this may be like a Seven Wonders of the Ancient World series, but I'm not sure because I have to find stories for the other six. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but this one, this one had a great this one. This one really uh, boring ancient wonder that no one cares about. <laughs> well, if you're just talking about, you can't just talk about the ancient wonders. You got to have a story somewhere in there. Uh, and so, you know, you can't just be like, yep, it was a really great statue of Zeus they had there. You know, uh, cool. some architect you've never heard of built it. Um, that's not very interesting. You got to have something interesting. And this one certainly does. And conveniently enough, this one is generally, um, well, often called by at least the ancient sources, the greatest of the uh, what we now call the seven wonders of the ancient world um they didn't they didn't actually call it that but it would be quite grandiose look what we've built one of the wonders of the ancient world yeah it was just sort of the the one of the seven that was off that was commonly listed uh, and then you know eventually that got you know more modern people being like yeah the seven wonders it sounds like something trump would say like they just built like a new like government building and he's like it's one of the wonders of the modern world <laughs> Yeah, they definitely liked their Temple of Artemis back then in Ephesus. And uh, this, this uh, so if, for people not familiar, sort of reference, that's sort of like in modern day Turkey there, mm -hmm. sort of uh, kind of on the coast almost uh, by the Aegean Sea. Yeah, and so this this was just, uh, this was the this amazing temple that got burned down by a guy we'll talk about in a little bit. But first, first we should talk about the temple just a little bit. It was built around 550 BC, or that's when the construction was started by it's it's kind of conflicting sources who actually designed designed it originally but um it seems like the general consensus is by this Cretan architect by the name of Cherisophron sure maybe yeah and of course being uh, it was of course built for the uh, to honor the goddess Artemis there mm -hmm. and uh built on marshy land funny enough to replace a temple that had a previous temple that wasn't so cool that got destroyed by floods, and so they decided to build it right there again. That doesn't for, sound like the know, best idea. No, <laughs> and like a giant, a giant temple, and this is huge. We'll get to in a second. Uh, right on marshy land, but they they actually did it for a reason. They thought that I don't know if this is actually true, but they thought um, I should say I don't know if it's actually true that what they thought would happen would happen. But they thought by building it on marshy land, it would protect it from earthquakes. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't know. Is that like a thing? What do you think? Well. I'm just thinking about it. Like, if the marsh is soft, and then the... Because I imagine, like, if you've got yeah. a plate of... This doesn't seem to make sense, all right? Because thinking about it, like, in, in, when, I, when I heard about this, I'm like, okay, so immediately, I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Then you hear about the earthquake yeah. thing, and then you're like, okay, that does actually seem to make yeah. sense. But then I think about, like, what if you've got, like, a plate, right? And there's, like, yeah. a pot of jello on the plate, and then on yeah. top of that bit of jello, 
is like, let's say a house of cards. So it suddenly got a lot bigger than a plate and all of this stuff. But then if you go shaking that plate, I feel like the mm-hmm. jelly is just going to amplify the, the shaking yeah. rather than actually do anything to stop yeah. it. So then I was kind of like, eh, but I am definitely not like a geo geophysicist. Yeah. What, what do they call these people who do this stuff? Like the guys who build those skyscrapers in Japan, there's a word for it. A certain type of architect. Yeah, some something sort, like this. I thought it was like the all the, the geologist guy, but not who does rocks, but yeah. does like shaking of the ground. I'm sure if they um if there's any architects or, or geologists listening in and could ring in, does this actually work? Is this actually a thing, or were they just thinking it would work? Or if anyone's uh, got a but, passion for jello, yeah. <laughs> go yeah. for it. Make a big mo- make a big model of this and see what happens. So either way, they thought it would work. So what they decided to do wait wait was, what do you um, think? What do you think? You think it'll work? I neutral. I don't know. I I was I could go either way. I feel like there could be some sort of computer simulation that would figure this out. Someone definitely knows the answer to this. And also, oh, yeah, totally. we're not often building buildings on swamps these days. So, Yeah, this is an area of total ignorance for me. Never took any architectural classes in my 10 years at university. So basically, this temple this temple was it was largely funded by this guy named King Croesus of Lydia. Mm-hmm. And, the, and mostly what you'll read about him in history is he was fabulously wealthy. And I think he only ruled for like 15 or 14 years or something like that. But apparently amazingly wealthy, and he funded uh, quite a bit of this, or all of it, mm-hmm. um, or at least all of the initial stages. It, they improved upon it over the years, uh, over the centuries. So to begin with, uh, so what, what is this? How did, they, how did they solve the marshy problem? Because you don't just want to build, build this giant, huge, huge structure on, on you know, marsh. It'll just yeah. sink. So at least according to the Roman historian Pliny the Elder, they, the elder, they used uh, charcoal and sheepskins, like a lot of it. Uh, as the base layer. Uh-huh. And then on top of that, they used marble, a lot of marble, like crushed marble on top of that to pack a nice, nice foundation. And then on top of it, they were going to build this, this giant temple. And so how big, how big was this Wait, thing? It was sheepskins. Yeah. Sheepskins. Is the, is that like a superstition thing or an actual building thing? That, that is, I think, I don't know. They must've thought with the charcoal and the sheepskins, it would do something, but yeah, that, uh, They've had had excavations of the area, and they have found, uh, so, you know, it looks like they really did use charcoal and marble, crushed marble and stuff as a base. And then they did find some like organic material and stuff that maybe used to be sheepskins at some point, uh, but that 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 part of it is still debatable. Yeah, um, at this stage, uh, so it does seem like a rather weird thing to like put in the foundations yeah. of the building. And I know, yeah. wasn't this? Did we do a video about this? How they used to kill people and put them in the foundations of buildings in maybe in Asia somewhere or like in the Paris catacombs where they had, uh, they had the problem with the sinking city basically. And so they just started like, Hey, we have this problem with nowhere to bury all our dead people. And we have this problem of sections of our city sinking all the time. Why don't we just use the bones to prop up everything yeah. and just start? Yeah. You know. I really want to go see those Paris catacombs. They even had, um, I was reading, I was reading, they used to have, um, so people, it's so like vast under there that they had people who were building, like there was a theater someone found at one yeah. point, the authorities found this theater with like a whole like nightlife thing that they were secretly operating. And then of course, once they found it, uh, then, you know, they just like disappeared later when they came back. And so who knows, it, they must've set up shop somewhere else under there. Somewhere. I've read the same article. It's super interesting. Yeah. The stuff that goes on under there. Yeah. It'd be totally fun to get like an all access pass to just wander around and with uh, like a tour guide or something. They do like small limited tours, I think, but it seems yeah. like this is just a very small part of it and it's kind of, you know, very busy and touristy. It'd be cool to get some yeah. sort of like 
or like you say, all access pass to go yeah. explore. Yeah. Anyway, totally. yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, sheepskins in the base. Yes. So they, they, yeah, apparently. And uh, the first, it seems like the main part of the temple was completed only in about a decade. And then they just kind of continued improving upon it for a couple centuries, just minorly, mm-hmm. uh, until 356 BC, which we'll get to in a minute. But to give you some scope of the of the building. So it's, it was 377 feet in length and 180 feet wide, or that's 115 meters by 55 meters. So mm-hmm. it's slightly larger than like a football field, American football field, um, and or about three times the square footage of the Parthenon for just sort of a reference. So it was massive and it had 127 white marble columns and each one was 60 feet long, or that's about roughly um, 20 meters uh, and it weighed about 100 tons each, each, each marble column is amazing that's intense Um, huge and yeah so it stood without really much incident it was for a couple centuries it was you know good everyone loved it the ephesians particularly it was like the jewel of their of their city sounds pretty awesome and then it does doesn't it yeah in the uh, the actual sense of the word awesome like inspiring of awe yeah and especially back then and uh today if you go all you'll see is some rubble and one lone uh, partially destroyed column left. That's all that's mm-hmm. there. But back then, uh, so this brings us to July twenty first, three fifty six BC, when a guy known as Herostratus. There he was. He decides. A good name, yeah. Herostratus. Yeah, he decides he's just gonna destroy it. And uh, <laughs> dick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you might think, like, how does one man destroy such a massive, massive temple made uh-huh. of mostly marble? And uh, yeah, it turns out it wasn't very hard because along with the marble, all the supports and everything, it did have inside these massive, massive cedar beams that they used to kind of uh, support the ceiling across the span inside. And uh, it turns out those were also treated with oil and, you know, some mm. different uh, things like that. And so he apparently just kind of snuck in with some rags or something. It's kind of accounts uh, are kind of conflicting about what exactly he used, but mostly he just snuck in, lit the timbers on fire and then just let the magic happen. Uh, it didn't take long because of that immense weight once they once they were burning and, you know, they were all soaked in oil and, you know, treated and everything. So didn't take long. Whole thing collapses. And then this is where it gets interesting because you think, okay, he's done this. How did he get caught? Turns out he went around boasting that he did this. <laughs> he just went around town just to be like, yep, that temple had burned down. I did it. It was me. And yeah, so... It didn't take long for the Ephesian authorities to arrest him, and then they tortured him to find out why, why'd you do that? He's yeah. like, dude, that was our awesome temple. What was your possible reason? People came from all over the world to come check this thing out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and also, of course, it was, you know, to Artemis, their goddess, and they actually, you know, believed in <laughs> Artemis and everything, so yeah. that was not good. And so, and he, under torture, finally says, he, he burned it down so that people would remember him in history. History would remember his name. And, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's dumb, but he's also right. I mean, we just like 2,400 yeah. years later, he's like, goal achieved. Exactly. And so they were, but they, of course, they were like, well, okay, we don't want history to remember you. And they also didn't want copycat criminals, you know, going around destroying stuff. Oh, yeah. So he's done this once. Like other people yeah. are like, I'm going to burn down the other six wonders. Yeah, so they uh, they they tortured him quite brutally publicly, um, oh, yes. uh, and then killed him. And uh, so this was their step one. Step two was to remove any public record of him, and uh, and even you could actually they made a law that if you even mentioned his name in conjunctions with the destruction of the temple, you could be executed quite brutally as well. Uh, <laughs> they was just like 
nobody talk about this guy. And this is this is sort of a, a, an early. So the Romans actually would later do this as sort of a, a matter of course. They had this thing called uh, damnatio. What do you think? Memory? Say damnatio memori, memori, but I'm not sure. Memori, I like yours better. <laughs> yeah, and that just means condemnation of memory. I think we, this, we did they, make a video about damnatio memori. Yeah, a so long time ago. I think I must have looked up the pronunciation at some point, but if I'm remembering it correctly. Uh, memori, yeah. I don't know, sounds good. Mm. And honestly, it's Latin, so yeah, we really matter. know. Damnatio. That's, uh, well, that's an interesting one, because every time I say that, I had this Latin professor in college. And he was always of that opinion. He's like, eh, we don't really know. So whatever, yeah. you know, here's kind of the conventions that we go with. But every time I mention that, I get so many comments from people like on YouTube and, you know, you get emails, you mentioned that in the article. No, we do know. And it's like, well, do we? Yeah, you've told really? me this story before. And since then, I've started <laughs> yeah. doing the same thing. And everyone's like, oh, no, you're wrong. And I'm like, mm, I don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe my professor was wrong, but he had, he had quite the, you know, resume to it. You know, he was a... Latin expert, so I don't know. Anyways, either way, so the the Rome the Romans did this all the time, and uh, as you might imagine, if it was ever successful, we don't actually know about it because we if it you know that was that, that's kind of cool when you think about it, right? Because I bet they were yeah. successful, and so there are dudes, yeah, sometimes like through time, who I'm sure had a big impact on the history of the world, who did something significant, and the Romans were like, nope, yep, forgotten yeah. forever, just erased from history. This must be impossible today. Do you think this because uh, with all oh, the yeah, data totally. we collect and stuff, it's like, yeah. Or really easy because in the end, I mean, a lot of the data we do is on storage mediums that don't last. Yeah. And so once they're gone, they're like, it's not like a book that, that can last. Uh, you know, so a lot of storage mediums we use, you know, unless you take actual effort to store stuff, uh, it's not, you know, it's going to be forgotten forever. Yeah. So. It's kind of like, I was thinking about this the other day, like if suddenly there was a TV show where this was, I think I was looking for a new TV show to watch. And I was like, oh, there's this TV show where all electronics stopped working or something. And I'm like, that would be oh, yeah. really intense because it's like things that actually have my name on. Like, I don't know. I have like one box yeah. with actual paperwork. Yeah. Everything else is just digital. <laughs> yeah. And I run into this all the time when researching stuff, I'll come across like a you know a reference to some you know news report or something of this but no one you know that no one has that news report anymore it was just like an online article that you know maybe a newspaper that no longer exists it's gone and you know there's yeah. no there's no record of it like the old newspapers like you can go i can easier sometimes find stuff from like the 19th century just because google scanned it um you know these old newspapers and stuff and so they, they have they, we had the physical record that someone scanned but when you're talking about the online articles sometimes they're just gone you know and there's nothing you have the wayback machine but if they didn't if they didn't archive it then you know it's gone sometimes forever. it's just not there yeah. yeah you just have a reference to it and you know it's not even that long ago so now i kind of yeah. think like everything i write online even if it's just a youtube comment i'm like this i i, I you know i'm always thinking this is going to be around forever <laughs> Like, this yeah. is, you yeah. know, they are archiving this. It's unlikely that in my lifetime it's probably going to go away. So be careful. <laughs> yeah. And you, you do wonder, like, um, so probably like, you know, a decade or two from now, you're, well, a couple decades, I suppose. You'll have like the first presidential people running for president or something in the, uh, wherever, uh, or, you know, prime minister or whatever uh, <laughs> that were, grew up with social media. Yeah. And they'll have the record of like what they said when they were like 12. Oh, and you man. know that's going to get used against them, even though they were only like 12. Well, it already gets used against people now. What was it? Uh, yeah. James Gunn's inappropriate tweets or whatever, and he gets taken off Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's like, yeah, the, the people go back. Yeah. You know, forgotten, but not gone. Yeah. 
Sorry, where were we? Some dude was getting anyway, tortured. Anyway, the Romans. The Romans. We'll go back to the Romans. They, the ones we do know about are tend to be like emperors and stuff because they did actually try to get rid of, uh, you know, the memory. Anyone remembering certain emperors and senators and sort of high profile ones. It's a big ask. Yeah. And so there, there's several of these. Uh, so we have like, um, for example, uh, Roman Emperor Maxentius. Mm-hmm. who uh, he was the victim of this, but we actually, in his case, I mean, when you're a Roman emperor, it's kind of hard to really get rid of all reference. So it was like 312 AD is when he got that uh, at the hands of Emperor Constantine declared it. And they, they went to great lengths. They would like kill people who, you know, were like prominently, you know, mentioning you or whatever. They would get rid of any record. You know, all your will was annulled. They would, you know, desecrate your grave and, you know, get rid of any any inscriptions on your tombstone or whatever they were using. Uh, stuff they, they did everything possible to get rid of any any record of you ever existing but you know when you're a roman emperor it, it doesn't matter so stuff yeah yeah so the uh constantine actually also actually maxentius's dad maximian he was also uh, uh put under this uh but then then not long after constantine changed his mind and, and deified him instead but unfortunately <laughs> for maximian yeah, unfortunately for Maximian, he had been forced to commit suicide, so, you know. Wait, by the guy who deified him? Yeah. Why? Yeah. It's a story for another day. <laughs> yeah. Just feel like, why? Eh, it was Rome. This, it it was, they, this, this kind of stuff is happening It tended to be when you had any sort of, like, shift in power from one emperor for another or whatever. Yeah. It tended to be like, yeah, we're going to kill 50,000 people over here because they just don't agree with me. So they're, you're, you're all dead. Yeah. And then, you know. I'll get all my friends to replace you. This this um, wouldn't fly in the present day, like you know. No, especially you know the the, the free speech stuff. People like that. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, like every time there's a new prime minister or president or whatever, like yes, we're killing now. Now we have a you know, whatever Republican president. So now let we're killing all the Democrats. Yeah, that's just what we're <laughs> going to do. All the prime, our next victory, all, all the major ones, and then and then when you had the you know like the Democrats take over whatever or whatever parties you know you have in the UK, it's just like yes, we're killing everyone yeah. else, all the prominent ones. <laughs> First order of business: kill my opponents. <laughs> yeah, but you know that's how it was. So. So going back to Herostratus, so we're still talking about him over two millennium later. So how do how do we know about him if they if they went to such you know and great lengths? To and try- didn't he know like when he was burning down this temple? He knows there's this Damnatium Memoriae I think he knows. Well, this like- that, that was Rome. That was Rome later. This is this is different. Uh, they didn't really. This was just one of the earliest you know examples or one of the early examples we have of something like this happening, uh, where where pe- where people in history were like, no, we're gonna get rid of any any memory of you uh, and, okay so yeah and he time. was under torture when he admitted why he did it so you know maybe he wasn't planning on actually telling people why he did it too nah, um wait it makes sense you told them because he wants to be remembered yeah well he was telling people he did it but not telling people why he did it maybe it's possible he wasn't uh, he wasn't originally going to so reveal that because oh, then it's like a mystery it's even better yeah yeah but either way Either way, it didn't. Uh, it turns out there was a Greek historian by the name of Theopompus from the fourth century mm-hmm. there, and he just ignored the decree completely in his work uh, Philippica, and he just wanted to make sure that history remembered what happened to the temple. It wasn't just like some great mystery that we're all wondering about, and so he 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 told us of what happened. So yeah, but other than that, we don't really actually have a lot uh, we know about Herostratus because they actually did a pretty good job of destroying any <laughs> record of who he was or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it does, you know, hasn't stopped people from trying to infer different things about him. And so first, they it's generally considered he probably wasn't an Ephesian citizen because 
he got tortured on the rack and that was something Ephesian citizens were not supposed to be able to have done to them mm-hmm. in in the in that city because it's uh, worse yeah they had it was kind of like if you were like later on if you're like a Roman citizen you had a lot of rights that you know like a slave or a foreigner didn't have like they could do stuff to you um <laughs> this actually came up in the Bible you see that in the New Testament there was a, one of them one of the apostles had that where he was he was a Roman citizen and so he had quite a lot of protection that uh, that others did not um but anyways it's kind of interesting <laughs> Yeah, so so they just kind of thought he was either a foreign traveler or a slave, but there is also, you got to go back, he did destroy the Temple of Artemis, like the jewel of their city, <laughs> yeah. the pride of the citizenship there, and like their patron goddess there, so they were not happy. So they might have just went ahead and yeah. tortured him on the rack either way. So I don't know if I'm buying the general consensus there that, that we can say that he wasn't an Ephesian citizen. Um, they might have just been really mad. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, so then... Uh, Plutarch and others uh, since have hypothesized also that he got the idea to acquire his fame uh, because of the birth of Alexander the Great, which supposedly happened on the same day that he burned the temple to the ground. Um, So we have a a nice little quote from the Professor Gregory L. Ulmer from The Legend of Herostratus. He states, "Uh, We may imagine then that on the evening in 356 BC, as Herostratus passed by the familiar temple, runners from the court of Philip of Macedon were announcing the birth of the prince for whom great things were prophesied. The thought of this child, born into all the advantages of life and predestined for glory, made Herostratus reflect despairingly on his own frustrated ambitions, made him rage against his anonymity, mortality, and mediocrity. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of the idea, there's this baby who hasn't done nothing, and he's, you know, already more famous. Uh, but, uh, and Plutarch actually also notes of this. Alexander was born on the sixth day of the month, Hectombeon, maybe, ugh, which sure. the Macedonians called Luce, the same day on which the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus, Ephesus sorry, was burned down. It was this coincidence which inspired Hegesius of Magnesia to utter a joke which was flat enough to have put the fire out. He said it was no wonder the Temple of Artemis was destroyed since the goddess was busy attending to the birth of Alexander. But those of the Magi who were then at Ephesus interpreted the destruction of the temple was the potent of a far greater disaster, and they ran through the city, beating their faces and crying out that day had brought forth a great scourge and calamity for Asia. There's a problem with this, though, as well, even though this is commonly stated. Uh, Ephesus is actually about 900 kilometers by land away from where uh, where Alexander was born in Pella, uh, and that, or about 500 kilometers by the Aegean Sea. And so if it indeed happened on the same day, there was no way he could have ever heard about this. They didn't have Telegram. That's not happening. No. Yeah. But there is one defense of this is that one thing a lot of these ancient historians like to do, if there was two events that happened kind of similar, kind of close to each other, they sometimes like to just say they happened on the same day, even though, you know, we, there's reference sometimes where we're like, well, no, they didn't happen on the same day at all. Um, so it's just kind of a thing they used to do. So just for ease of record keeping or what? It's like, oh, wow, this was a really popular day. I think it was just to make it more. It sound it made it seem like more momentous. Like that day was like, a you know, even greater in history because these two amazing things happened. There's also, though stepping back from that even if that were true there's also the problem of like why would a citizen or person in in you know Ephesus care that some you know ruler some prince from a quite distant land a completely different you know rulership why would they care 
yeah, that, that he was born. Like, it wasn't really, Ale- he wasn't Ale- he wasn't yeah. Alexander the Great. He was just regular old Alexander, right? <laughs> yeah, he was. I mean, he, sure, he was like a, a son of a, a quite prominent ruler. But it's like, is it really like you know? It's not like they're like, oh, this amazing person's born. It's like no, it's just a prince. Like you know, of, yeah. there's lots of kingdoms of, around. So why why would they care in a thesis? This sounds super unlikely to me. Yeah. So I've I've I also found this quite unlikely uh, even if even if there was time for that news to spread you know that, yeah. that again like and it's if i don't know it does seem far-fetched it seems like one of those things that you put it like if you're writing the history like especially when they're level one loose with writing the history it'd be like yeah. this makes a much better story in retrospect because they know who alexander the great was and they know yeah. when he was born and they know that this guy burnt down the temple yeah. around the same time it just makes a better story but yeah, and and if you really believe in like Artemis as a goddess, you know, you you'd say, well, <laughs> why didn't she just smite him down, you know, before he could build his temple? And they were like, well, obviously, he was, <laughs> obviously, she was, you know, <laughs> at the birth of Alexander the Great, clearly. But um, whatever the case, there uh, they did decide to rebuild the temple, of course. And Alexander the Great, uh, slightly grown up, would come and offer to pay for it if they would just inscribe his name on the temple. But according to Strabo. The, uh, the Ephesians, they were very tactful in their refusal, telling him, It is inappropriate for a god to dedicate offerings to gods. Oh, handled yeah. well, guys. Yeah, but mostly they just probably didn't want to put his name on the temple. Um, so yeah, they, they funded it themselves. Just uh, said, This is how much the citizens of Ephesus liked this temple. They, they just local, they just, you know, went around and asked for donations yeah, like, did to, re- to rebuild it. Yeah, yeah, basically, it's uh, crowdfunded to reconstruct it, and they they rebuilt the temple. And this one, it was you know just as amazing as as the previous. It was basically a similar design. Um, I believe it was slightly smaller, but also raised a little bit higher, if I remember correctly. Uh, but otherwise, you know, basically looked the same. And this one stood for about six centuries until the Goths sacked the city sometime around two sixty to two seventy A.D. And it's not actually clear. Um, you'll, you'll read some places where it says they destroyed it, and then uh, but it's not actually clear from any accounts whether they actually destroyed it or simply just took all the valuables valuables from it and you know damaged it slightly. Yeah. Um, but either way, it was either rebuilt or repaired from there. Probably, uh, I th- probably it seems like more likely repaired because um, it didn't take long, and then it 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 just stood again until 400 AD, until the rise of Christianity finally, uh, basically the, the temple got closed down. And it's not clear whether the whether it was destroyed immediately when it when basically its doors were closed as an actual temple of worship, mm-hmm. uh, or or if this sort of just happened over time where people were like, hey, there's a lot of marble and valuables <laughs> there. <laughs> we should, yeah, we should use those for other things and statues and things. Uh, so it's not clear whether that happened like right away around 400 AD or if it just kind of gradually happened over time. But either way, if you go there now, there is a pillar, one one that's sort of like just standing there all alone amidst rubble. And that's what's left of it. We should do an Indiegogo campaign. Yeah. Rebuild, Rebuild the Temple of Ephesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it'd be kind of cool to like see, you know, what it would have looked like. Like if people did rebuild it to what we know about it, like, you know, to actually get to go and see. In, in all its glory type of thing i feel like with all this like virtual reality stuff that's going on these days and like yeah. have you tried those headsets that like it's pretty incredible like yeah. I, i've had my mind blown by that a couple of times i tried one like a year ago and then i tried that new hdc one even more recently mm-hmm. dude it's it's like the the illusion of you being there is immense yeah there should be an indiegogo for making a digital version 
of the Temple of Artemis, and then you could go yeah. tour it with one of these headsets because it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, that that would be awesome. But yeah, the the so it was this rebuilt temple though. After so Herostratus he destroys it, they rebuild it basically the same as before, and it was this rebuilt temple that really uh, Antipater of Sidon uh, he would note in the second century BC. I have set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon, on which is a road for chariots, and the statue of Zeus by the Alpheus, and the hanging gardens, and the colossus of the sun, and the huge labor of the high pyramids, and the vast tomb of Morsalus. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliance, and I say, lo, apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on aught so grand. Wow, he really liked it. Yeah, this was one of the early references of sort of that Seven Wonders of the World. So there's a few, you know, people writing this kind of, yeah, yeah, the same type of thing. Where And this eventually would would come, we would just call it the Seven Wonders, but just based on these different accounts from these people of what what these amazing things that they saw. So Philo of Byzantium in the 3rd century BC also states of the temple. The Temple of Artemis in Ephesus is the only house of the gods, for whoever examines it will believe that the gods exchanged the heavenly regions of immortality to have a place upon the earth. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. So it is, it is uh, many of the ancient sources considered it sort of like, you know, the greatest of those sort of marvels that, uh, or at least like, you know, the greatest structure ever built by, by human hands there, so... Yeah, but going back to Herostratus, unfortunately, we don't really know a lot about him because they did seem to have done a pretty good job of, you know, removing reference to anything about him. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we do know, you know, we still talk about him today. So he got his wish there. And, you know, almost like you say, it's like, what, 2,374 years later, we still have in English Herostratic fame, which is, which is used to describe, it's a, used to describe people who do like uh, commit crimes just to acquire fame or notoriety. I feel like, this is a problem, right? Because you do have these people. And I always think like once the floodgates open to something, it's like people start doing it more. Like I always think of school shootings. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like yeah. those weren't really a thing and then they became a thing. And if that never really yeah. happens, then people would probably be like, well, oh, what do you mean? No one would do that. Are you crazy? Or it's like mm-hmm. taking down an airplane. No one would do that. Are you crazy? But then someone does it and it's like, oh yeah, we could do this. And then mm-hmm. these like subset of humanity are like, oh yeah, Okay. The interesting sounds... thing about the plane one, though, the plane one, though, if you actually look, now there, it's there has been like, yeah. <laughs> well, well, no, but not only that, if you go back before 9-11, there's actually a lot of times people did stuff like that. It was just that one was so momentous, like so, you know, in its scope. But there was lots of times people tried to do that or did stuff like that. And it just wasn't like, I don't know, they just didn't really do a lot to prevent it up until then. And now, of course, like you say, they... You mean prevented? You mean plane hijackings in general, or like plane using or planes even, as missiles? Yeah, using planes as missiles. There was even the the one. The was it? I think Reagan or Nixon. One of them. There was a guy who actually hijacked a plane, yeah. and his goal was to go crash into the White House to kill either Reagan or Nixon. I can't remember wow. which one it was. Can't remember the guy's name. He got so far as to actually get in the cockpit, and I can't. I don't think they actually got off the ground. But, uh, oh wait, he took the plane before he got off the ground. Well, yeah, he, he basically—if it's been a long time—but uh, I believe he ran through the airport with a gun and then ran on the plane and then was threatening the pilots or something. He was on there, so there was definitely like a hostage situation. I don't think he got in the air, but that was his—that was his plan. Was basically just to to go crash in the White House. It, it, either Reagan or Nixon, I can't remember which one. But it turns out they were—they weren't even there at the time, so yeah. it wouldn't have. 
you know, I mean, the White House might have got destroyed, but he sounds like a bit of a crazy person. Yeah, and I'm sure they would have scrambled the jets and yeah. things. <laughs> right, so, yeah, I even feel like pre-9-11, yeah. you know, they'd be like, there's a plane coming towards the White House. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't remember the details of that one, but there was, there was things like that that actually happened. Happened. It wasn't, it wasn't, that wasn't really the first time someone had tried something like that. It was just, you know, the scope of it in the end and the success of it in the end, I think. Well, one so of, it was like, wait a minute. One of my favorite things about the, wow, that sounds dark. One of my favorite things, <laughs> uh, one of the most interesting things I should say is like the number yeah. of plane hijackings that like happens is just completely dropped off because now people are like, yeah, uh, yeah, you're probably not going to land this on the tarmac and use this as passengers. So uh, we're going to fight back. That's true. I mean, there is like you even just go back to the 1980s. There's tons of plane hijackings. That was like a thing. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, yeah, like you say, it doesn't really happen much anymore. No, um, surprisingly, not surprisingly. Yeah. But yeah, so so summing up this sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess, trying this weird thing where we have this herostratic fame idea and just kind of the the anonymity of history, I guess. So, so Thomas Brown sums up all of this, noting. He says, I, I feel like you put this quote in just because it's got like awkward sentences. Uh, yeah. But he says, but the iniquity of oblivion blindly scattereth her poppy and deals with the memory of men without distinction to merit of perpetuity. Herostratus lives that burnt the temple of Diana. He is almost lost that built it. Who knows whether the best of men be known or whether there be not more remarkable persons forgot than any that stand remembered in the known account of time. It's a nice quote. It's difficult to read. It's uh, one Because it, it's interesting because two things there. One, it's true. Like I said at the beginning, we think we know who was the yeah. original designer, but we don't really know. Like, you know, it's kind of, there's it's some debate, but we do definitely know who burned it down. Uh, and so that's kind of an interesting, and it's also interesting just to note that, yes, like, you know, in the end, everyone will be forgotten, you know, and, and if you think about it, so a lot of the good people, you'll probably be forgotten first. Like Hitler will probably be remembered long after many people who deserve to be remembered more, much more than him, yeah. you know? Uh, and so, but even he eventually will be forgotten. And it's kind of interesting, you know, to think about. It's kind of uh, depressing. I don't know. Is it depressing? Yeah. It's, it's Or freeing, I guess, if you're Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess it depends <laughs> on what your opinions of uh, the yeah. art. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not religious. But I do like the idea of, you know, someone like Hitler having some nice, uh, horrible place to go to <laughs> after he dies. But I'm like, eh, it's kind of most likely just to be endless oblivion. Um, so that sucks. <laughs> on that, on that happy note, yeah. feedback and discussion. <laughs> feedback and discussion. I've got some follow up from last episode, but do you want to? I can, I can oh, do yeah, that. We... we can take a break from the facts and we can talk about, uh, oh, our, our female listenership, which. Like, the lady we've listeners often are, about this. Sorry. Yeah, the, the lady listeners are uh, chiming in. So we asked the question of, of one, we were just referencing, it's interesting how the lady listeners seem to really like the macabre, or macabre if you prefer, uh, <laughs> you topics a lot. Word? Yeah, yeah. However you want oh, to pronounce this is going it. on in our, in our forums, by the way. Uh, you can yeah, find in our forums. Forums.todayfoundout.com if you want to chime in and, and say hey. The second thing we were wondering about, uh, so that just seemed interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing we were wondering about is why women don't really watch the educational YouTube side of things. But it seems, at least we, we, we're going to do a poll at some point because we actually want to see some data. Um, it seems like in the podcast side, very interested, even though it's you know similar type of content. And so they're kind of ringing in on the forum. 
And one of the consensuses is that they just don't have time to go sit down and watch YouTube videos and um, don't find them as engaging. Some of the some of the women were commenting, but but podcasts are perfect because they're conversational and you can do them while you're doing other things. You know, just you know. Honestly, as a as someone who does mostly YouTube and does a bit of podcasting on the side, I listen to more podcasts than I watch YouTube, which I guess is a bit odd. But yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree totally. I prefer I prefer the podcast format. And there was also some of the some of the women were were also they just like because it's more conversational and that's just more fun to listen to than someone talking at you on YouTube as well. Was another thing that got brought up. So if anyone else wants to ring in. There is a post on the forum called Women Listeners, and uh, we're interested to hear more. Yeah. Uh, chime in. I Do you want to hear about the, uh, the ridiculous situation of crosswalks, uh, as, uh, pedestrian crossings in the UK? Yes. So in a previous episode, we talked about crossings. I don't really remember the reference point for this, but I was like, I don't really know. Like, I think you were calling, I was like, I think we call that a pelican crossing, not a zebra crossing. And mm-hmm. then I was like, Maybe we, that's just our British name for them. And it turns out I was wrong. There are six varieties. Are you ready to hear yeah. about all six varieties in some degree of depth? Yeah. Number one, the standard zebra crossing. This is what you probably have. I think I looked it up. It varies in the States from state to state and from city to city. But generally, white stripes on the street, zebra crossing. No lights or anything mm-hmm. for people to stop. All of this kind of thing. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One additional thing. In the UK, we have these weird... I don't think you guys have them. Correct me if I'm wrong. They're like weird. There's a black and white pole. And then on top of it, there is a flashing yellow light. Are you familiar with these things? I think we have the black and white pole. Okay. Well, they're called the Leisha Beacons, which was a new thing to me. Named after the transport secretary, uh, Leslie Horbelishi in the 1930s. There you go. That's an unfortunate last name. Why? Hor. Oh, yeah, the Hor part. (laughs) I was like, because in my notes, I've bolded her, the, the second part of her said, <laughs> And it's also spelt uh, H-O-R-E rather than the... Yeah, uh, well, that, that helps at least. <laughs> she probably I'm went sure by Leslie Belisha rather than Leslie Hall. <laughs> middle school wasn't kind to her, although she was born in 1893, so I guess maybe... She was. <laughs> yeah. And it could be like Ore or something, I suppose, but... Yeah. yeah, it's like that, like that, uh, that Joe Dirt, it's Dear Tay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, then there's the slightly more advanced one, which is called a pelican crossing. Uh, so continuing the animal theme. And that's basically, it's the same thing as before, but there are traffic lights. So a pedestrian can press a button, the lights will change, and you can cross the street safely. And it will beep and stuff. Boop, 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 boop. like uh, you have these and it says walk don't yeah. walk ours just have a okay. green man and he flashes or he doesn't flash mm-hmm. uh, i think you're not supposed to cross when he's flashing and then it goes red and then it's like you're definitely not supposed to be crossing after mm-hmm. that there's the puffin crossing which is a completely <laughs> new one to me which is basically just an automated pelican crossing so you have the pelican crossing where you press the button and you cross puffin crossing has these like special cameras to detect whether there are people waiting to cross and then it will let you, like, it'll be like, okay. It's interesting that there's a different name. Because, like, in the U.S., they have the buttons. But, like, most of the time, the buttons don't actually do anything. They're really just there for you to have something to push. And then, then you know, sometimes they actually do stuff. And it's just, you know, it's not always clear whether you're standing at a place where you actually need to push it or not. Yeah, I, I think we definitely have ones that make a difference and don't make a difference. Like, mm-hmm. from what I was reading, the Pelican Crossing, 
And like where I grew up in the village, there was one pelican crossing and it definitely made a difference because that light was green all the time unless someone specifically wanted to cross then then you'd hit the button. Mm -hmm. So it's the puffin crossing, automated. Then there's the that's the toucan crossing. And this is named as such because it allows cyclists and pedestrians to use it at the same time. So you can see the the clever wordplay there. Toucan. Yeah. Like, ha ha ha. Yeah. British government yeah. is so hilarious. I'm sure some consultant got paid like a hundred thousand pounds to come up with its name. That's a lot of names. Dude, for, we're for... not done. There's the, there's the next up, there's the Pegasus okay. crossing which is a crossing with special consideration for horses. So there you go. That is How did uh, they mark that? Is there like a way they mark that? Is I have never seen sign? a pe- Pegasus crossing in my life. Okay. Uh, I think I saw like a picture of like these were all pulls from the site where you can learn to study for your driver's test. Uh, okay. Apparently these days you need to learn all of these. I definitely did not learn all of these. I didn't know that Pegasus crossing, right? You got to you got to spay special consideration for the horses so that's my that's my thrilling uh follow-up notes on different mm-hmm. types of crossing i was going to say something else interesting about those buttons for people who work in an office quite often also the the control the the temperature control in your office buildings doesn't actually do anything this is like a, a pretty common thing in big buildings they put it there to make it think you can control the temperature because they've found there's actually studies done that people complain a lot less if they if they have the illusion of control with that, where they can set it at you know whatever seventy two Fahrenheit or you know whatever Celsius, uh, if you can set it at that, then people just stop complaining and it's like comfortable or whatever. But if they don't have the control, then they complain constantly about the temperature. And so this this was found that if you put those <laughs> fake controls in, <laughs> yeah, then they don't actually do anything, but they make you feel like you're doing something. And quite and quite often in big office buildings, they don't because it's just you don't want people controlling the the temperatures of everything. So that makes perfect sense. And because yeah. then you're like, what am I going to complain about? I have control. You don't yeah. know. <laughs> Yeah. So you just you take it off the wall and it's just connected to absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh the other follow-up, two things. Was Lord Byron mad? No. I don't think he was mad. He was just ex- insanely excessive, like kind of mm-hmm. as these romantic poets and authors tended to be. And then uh one of his lovers called Lady Catherine Lamb, she famously called him mad, bad, and dangerous to know. And it kind of stuck. So I think that's why people associate or like in my mind i was like lord byron he was crazy right and then (laughs) talk about being remembered in history like some lady calls him mad at one point and now that's what he gets remembered for yep and that's (laughs) that's that's lord byron and that's a little bit like um so you have uh marie antoinette everyone's always like oh let them eat cake and she's this horrible person but if you actually look into her story it's a really sad story and she was i mean yeah she was a french aristocrat so she wasn't exactly you know a kind person by what we would consider but at the same time like uh, amongst her peers she was actually quite quite nice and quite charitable towards the poor and things like this and 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 just kind of had her whole life story was really sad it's yeah. like just depressing and uh, right right to the end and she uh, yeah but yeah and but history remembers her as like this you know let the meat cake you know but thing, she never said she it never, right i think we made she never actually said yeah. that yeah no she didn't yeah uh the the only other follow-up i had was i remember last week I talked about a kid or a man or someone who was left in an x-ray machine and then it destroyed mm-hmm. his foot. I, I couldn't find anything on Google about this. So I, I have no satisfactory follow-up on that, I'm afraid. Well, I'm actually glad 
that that's the case. Yeah, there we go. There wasn't, <laughs> as far as we know, no one has ever been left in an X-ray machine to get horrible radiation poisoning. Yeah. Although Thomas Edison's assistant did, you know, have his hand X-rayed a bajillion times and finally died. Yeah. So listen to the last week's you know, episode for more about that. That's kind of that's kind of a thing. So that's my follow-up. You want to do a couple of reviews and then call it a day? Sounds good. Cool. Uh, oh, the first review that I look at. One star. <laughs> Shall I read it? Shall I do it? I, I feel like it's fair. Uh, sure. Uh, from another podcast and decided to listen. Was disappointed that the first part was just chit-chatting. I switched to another show after eight minutes. Didn't sound like they were close to starting. Too bad, because I like their voices and humor. But it was just taking too long to get there. One star. I think now that we've switched up the how the show is structured, so this kind of bantery bit comes at the end... Mm -hmm. Probably, I, maybe they listen to an older episode, but that's my yeah. that's my defense against this. Yeah, that's perfectly fair. Should I balance it out with some glorious five star reviews? Yes, long time listener, first time caller from going back to Tinder. That's an interesting name. I've been following Simon's YouTube work for a long time, and this podcast holds up to the quality that I've come to expect when he is involved in a project. I've been trying to cut back on YouTube as I find myself binging and getting glued to the screen far too often. The podcast format allows me to enjoy the topics that Simon and David discuss while staying productive. I'd love it if Biographics Top 10s and Today I Found Out could find ways into becoming podcasts as well, even if there was just the audio directly from the YouTube videos. Hey-ho, we're working on that, right? Yeah, we are. We actually have... Uh, the first episode is already done, and it's been done for like a month. Yeah, <laughs> I should probably I should probably actually listen to it and make sure it's good, and then send it to you. That sounds good. I'll listen to it as soon as you send it to me. Yeah. Uh, so we are working on that. At least for today, I found out. Um, biographics top tens. When I, you know, if I had seventeen different clones of myself, it would be that would be handy. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll work something out. Uh, yeah. Mod Squad Double Zero Five Stars. I spend about 20 hours a week driving. With that comes listening to podcasts. I would rather learn something than listen to people ramble on about nothing. So thank you guys for helping me not only get through it, but teaching me something along the way. Thank you guys for your reviews. Um, even, even the one-star reviews when they're like positive feedback like that, I'm like, that's genuinely useful. So Most go, of the time I feel it. like when someone has said like one star, I'm always like, yeah, yeah, they're right. They're good. Yeah pretty solid completely fair yeah i should also mention that we do have a reviews contest we've recorded these latest episodes quite close together so if you're listening to this and you've emailed us because you won our contest uh we don't have those emails yet because this was recorded in the past uh it's all a bit complicated but by the next episode we will be able to say who has won assuming we publish these episodes i'm just gonna say that it's coming <laughs> rather than like yeah. try and make promises that i might not be able to keep um, yeah. I'll put it in the title, like plus contest winners or something, so people can see it. Nice. Okay. Good. Uh, leave us a review. If you do leave us a review, you'll win for a chance of winning our next contest when we hit 300 reviews. And on... any contests we do after that as well. So. That's true. That was our clever system. Like you'll always be in with a chance to win. Um, mm. So, yeah, go leave us a review. It's all good. Thanks for listening, everyone. She's so slinky.